The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are, another week down, another week for the books. Episode number 30 of the Addiction Podcast. Pretty awesome. And today we're interviewing Dave Ehrenberg. That's right. And And go ahead and introduce who he is. Well, Dave is the state attorney for Palm Beach County. Mm -hmm. And okay, why interview somebody from Palm Beach County, because we're up here in Clearwater. But I first became, I met Dave originally when he was, in 2011, he was appointed the drug czar under Attorney General Pam Bondi. And at that time, Florida was number one in in the country. Florida was the number one state for pill mills. And pill mills basically were clinics where or are clinics where people can just walk in if they have the cash and they get the drugs, they get right the painkillers right, right on the spot, right on the spot. No prescription needed. Um, it's, it's all a cash business. And um, he did it. I mean, he, he, I think he's, I, I don't remember how many, but he basically took a Florida down to where it was like, I don't know, way lower in terms right. of the ranking of the States. And, I've heard him speak one time about the, uh, some of the stories that he told about shutting down the pill mills, and it was it was absolutely amazing. And so then Steve and I ran into him, and he's now doing a lot of work in Palm Beach County on something called sober homes, and so mm-hmm. we'll get him to talk about that. Which I'm very passionate about because I think the sober home problem is insane, how you'll have people all giving each other kickbacks to get people through sober homes, through outpatient clinics through detoxes and inpatient centers. And it's a huge scam. Yep. It's a huge scam. And I've actually seen it. So I'm really excited to hear what he has to say about that. Okay, good. Let's talk to him. All right. Dave, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I'm super excited to have you talking to us today. You have been, you really have been in, you're one of my heroes. I just have to say that, Dave. You have been (laughs) instrumental, really, in the state of Florida against the war on drugs. And when you were drug czar, you you were in charge of the pill mills in Florida at the time, I think, was number the number one state in the country for pill mills. Wasn't that correct? Well, Thank you. We uh, yes, I worked with Attorney General Pam Bondi. I was the drug czar for the Attorney General's office to go after the opioid epidemic, in particular, was the oxycodone epidemic uh, through the pill mills. We helped shut down those ubiquitous pain clinics that were on every street corner. There were more pain clinics back in 2010 in Florida than McDonald's in Florida, wow. and it was yeah, it was it was it was horrific. But we knew that when we shut them down that the users would move towards a cheaper, more accessible alternative, heroin. And unfortunately, that's what happened. And now we're dealing with the heroin slash fentanyl epidemic. Right. But but what were, like, can you tell us a little bit, like, give me, give me some stories on what you went through during the whole pill mill shutdown. Well, we faced a deregulated environment. People who say, hey, just legalize it and it'll go away, uh, have uh, probably uh, don't remember the, the days of the 2000, early 2000s and up to 2010, 2011 when it was really deregulated. It was a free-for-all. You had pain clinics on every street corner in Broward County and, and throughout South Florida and throughout the state for that matter, including Hillsborough and Pinellas and the Tampa Bay area. What happened was with no prescription drug monitoring database, with no 
regulations in the area. With a uh, weekend Department of Health, you had uh, just uh, the entire country descend who who were um, interested in buying these pills descending upon Florida because their home states had regulations, had a prescription drug monitoring database, but Florida didn't. So it was a race to the bottom. Literally, they just came down here to use, abuse, and then sell the pills for a profit back home, and their their vacations paid for themselves. And it was a caravan, caravans you'd see from Tennessee and other states uh, coming down here. You had billboards saying pain clinic and uh, directing people where to go. You had the back pages of the artsy publications directing people where to go. It was, it was a madhouse. And you had seven people dying every day from this. Mm-hmm. But we then passed laws, including a prescription drug monitoring database. And within a year, they, these places started to disappear. And we really made a real difference, a 63% decrease in oxycodone deaths um, between the year 2010 and 2015. And uh, that's, a, that's a real a great accomplishment. Unfortunately, then, we did see, after a couple years of success, uh, the uh, users moved to heroin. But we did shut down these pain clinics. We did save lives. And uh, it's something that shows that when done right, government can work. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, I used to live in Broward County. And I remember all those pain clinics that were popping up. And it was funny because they were popping up on, like, off-ramps from highways. And it was there was obviously no legitimate reason for those pain clinics to exist other than to peddle drugs to people who clearly didn't need it. And so with the pharmaceutical companies doing the blitzes that they did, they were knowingly distributing drugs to people knowing they were being prescribed to people that didn't need them and had no legitimate purpose to have them in the first place. Right. And I think, you know, and, and you know, you made a really good point, Dave, because Jason and I have discussed this subject so many times because there is the thought process that says, Oh, we'll just legalize everything and the problem will go away. And that's just not true. You know, People want to suggest things out of the box in the hope that there's a simple solution. But the reality is we've seen that simple solution. We've experienced it. We had that. We had a legalized environment with the pain clinics. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were were really no laws against it. Ex-felons own pain clinics. You know, anyone could open up one. Doctors who just didn't even see the patient could just write scripts, uh, not only prescribe a dispense right there on the premises. I mean, that's, we had it and look at the carnage that ensued. Exactly. Yeah. To think that that's what we should do for heroin now is, is having a short term memory of of what happened in the 2000, early 2000s and is just, instead of really, you've got, this is going to take a lot of work and all hands on deck approach. It is tough. It's going to take money. It's going to take a lot of uh, sweat equity to fix this problem. Uh, and the easy solutions, these little, uh, hey, just legalize it and it'll go away, is is so wrong and it, it defies history. Right. Exactly. It's definitely not the solution. Dave, I was reading about you and what you're doing down in Palm Beach County, and it's said that you're putting a lot more emphasis on rehab in the drug courts. How is that program progressing? Well, we have a very uh, strong drug court here that takes individuals who qualify for drug courts. We're talking about people who who possess drugs, not sellers, not the businessmen who try to make money off of people with, with addictions. We're talking about the the basic 
uh, users. We try to get them uh, rehabilitated instead of just locking them up. Now there are, you know, it, it is a strenuous uh, series of testing and counseling and, and monitoring that goes on. But if you can stay clean, you can get your charges dropped. And it's been very successful. The recidivism rate is much lower for those who go through drug court than those who do not. And it's the right solution because, you know, the people of Palm Beach County have expressed to me that they don't want our jails clogged up with nonviolent drug, drug possessors, people with a drug problem who are nonviolent, uh, who don't commit other crimes. Yeah. And so we have focused on prosecuting the drug dealers, the ones who commit violent crimes, other crimes associated with drugs, but the actual basic user, the you know, the person who smokes pot at home or, or does worse, you know, is found with heroin at home, a small amount for personal use, you know, we're not there to uh, lock them up for 20 years. We want to get them to become a drug-free, productive member of society. And that's been our aim. That's why we have such a strong drug court that's been working, and that's why we have all these other diversion programs that have been working to deal with that subcategory. And I think that's fantastic because I know that if you're given the choice of incarceration or rehabilitation, that rehabilitation is the option every time in my eyes with drug users because if you just lock them up, for the most part, they're not going to get much rehabilitation when they're incarcerated in state prison or county jail as compared to what so they can right. be offered. People think that, hey, you just send them to jail and they'll get dried up. And No, the jails are not a rehab facility. You know, and, and that's why the first place a person goes when they get released from jail is back to the drug dealer. You see that yep. all the time. Right. Uh, because, you know, they get withdrawals, they, they, they go right back. And so it does not, it does not effectively break the cycle of relapse. And, and the way to do it is through constant monitoring. It's through, hey, I, you know, it's, it's through medically assisted treatment can be used. I, I actually am a believer of that. There's abstinence-based programs, too. There's lots of different approaches. But just to lock them up and then dry them out, you know, deprive them of drugs and then let them out has never been proved to work. Right, right. And you're seeing the results of it in Palm Beach County. Therefore, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, we have seen some, some good results. And, you know, we hope that it sparks a national conversation of, of how to address this opioid epidemic. You can't arrest your way out of this problem. That's no way. right. You need to, no way. Where was the have a totality of uh, approaches, you know, like approach where everyone gets involved, rehab, legitimate rehab centers and prevention and, and proper punishment. But you need to have an all-hands-on-deck approach. Right. Where okay. was it, Jason, that you said, was it up in New England where they're doing a similar thing where they're focusing more on rehab than just incarceration? I can't remember if it was New England, but it's more of like a, a nationwide topic of discussion because right. – You've got this, a certain group of people that believe, you know, a person's using drugs. It's illegal. It's immoral. They should be locked up if they're caught and punished. And hopefully their time in, in while incarcerated will give them enough time to really think about things and refocus their priorities and do all these different things. And then you've got this other group of people that are like, no, rehabilitation is what needs to happen. Because when a person gets locked up and is in state prison or is in county jail, they're not getting drug treatment. And a lot of times they're getting drugs in jail or right. in prison. Right. And so, right. yeah. And so nothing's being done about their drug problems. So what happens, um, as Dave said, is that they come out and they're right back 
to using again, the recidivism rate is very high because they're not given any form of drug treatment. They haven't been given any kind of problem solving skills, coping mechanism, life skills or anything. And they're more likely just to go and commit the same crimes again that were drug fueled to begin with. Right. Exactly. Well, I applaud your efforts in Palm Beach County. I think that, you know, I think you're, you're moving in the right direction there. So you're welcome. Switching a little bit. Um, and because I'm, I'm not as well educated in a lot of these things as you are and as Jason is, explain a little bit what, can you explain what the sober houses are or do you want to put somebody else on the phone? No, I can explain it. Okay. Sober homes are merely just a group home. Anyone can own one. They're not regulated. There's no mandatory registration or certification. It's just a house. You can turn your house into a sober home today. And uh, rent it out to you know six, eight, nine, ten uh, individuals in recovery, and you charge rent every week. And uh, they live I, ideally, they live in a supportive, drug-free environment, where then they go to outpatient treatment during the week at a different facility. So, a sober home is. But then uh, I could bill really insurance. Can I bill insurance when I do that? No, because there's no treatment at your sober home. Oh, the okay. Treatment gets done at a different facility, so there's no insurance reimbursements. But I get paid by the people that. who stay with me. Correct. You okay. get paid by the people who stay there. But here's the scam that goes on. You, you're an honorable person. You run a honorable sober home. There are legitimate ones, and and they're necessary in getting people back into the uh, working world. You know, to get them uh, into into an environment where they could. Uh, get off the drugs and live a productive life. But what happens is your competitors, other people who who are owning sober homes, they are popping up everywhere and they are charging zero rent or discounted rent. And they're giving free gifts like, you know, transportation and other things that are not allowed to be provided. They're giving all these incentives to go there. So how do they make money when you, when they're not even charging rent at all or, or giving away a lot of gifts, how do they make big money? Well, they do it because they have a corrupt relationship with the outpatient facility to get a kickback. This is illegal patient brokering. And that's why we are so active and made 41 arrests in the last year because you have this sick cycle of relapse where people will go into unscrupulous sober homes to get high to get free gifts so because they are being exploited for their insurance. See, what happens is they're told to go to the outpatient facility a mile away. The place, place will pick you up in a van. They'll take you over there. They'll give you drug testing, drug counseling, all sorts of outpatient treatments. They'll charge insurance, and then they'll give a kickback to the sober homeowner. And then when the insurance runs out, the person in recovery will have to either – you have two choices – you're done, you either go back home to where you came, like New Hampshire or wherever, go back home, live with your parents and find a job, or you stay down here in sunny Florida and continue, but you have to test dirty. You've got to use drugs and test dirty again. And when you do, that cycle begins anew, and there's no limits on how many times you go through the cycle. So it's hard enough to remain sober as it is, let alone knowing your sobriety will cost you your free housing, your friends, your perks, and you've got to go move back home into the snowy northeast and find a job. So we set these individuals up for failure. And local governments who want to regulate these sober homes 
are stymied because of a well-intended federal law, the Americans with Disabilities Act, that protects these sober homes from government regulation. So what happens is the ADA has unintentionally been protecting flop houses. And so the only way people end up leaving these flop houses is in an ambulance or body bag. So that is the Florida shuffle. That is the great scandal that's going on right now, unintentionally fueled by federal law. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. And you, me personally, I was actually in sober homes in Palm Beach County years and years and years ago. And I actually saw this for, in, you know, firsthand. I saw this happen in front of me where people were actually going to AA meetings and offering people money to go get high then they could go into detox and they could go into outpatient then they can go or they go into inpatient then they could go to outpatient then they go to a sober home and then they keep doing it and everyone's getting kickbacks and it's it's absolutely the wrong direction that we want to move given today's epidemic it's insane it it's wow yeah the I, difference now is that there's a lot more money because of other well-intended federal laws like the affordable care act and the mental health parity act there are a lot more benefits available so the bad guys see that, and they come down to Florida to open up shops so they can exploit these new laws, and the gravy train begins again as soon as they open up, and then it never stops. Uh, so the federal laws must be tweaked or clarified to uh, reward the good providers. But right now, it's the shady ones that are being rewarded. The big money is not in sobriety. It's in relapse. And so that's why we don't have a recovery model anymore. We have a relapse model. Wow. Unbelievable. And that's where our society, to some degree, is valuing money more than human lives. Well, not yep. our society, but well, the, but the bad guys are. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's where that comes from. But our society is reflected in the law, and the law is, is skewed to reward failure. To, you know, the money is in repeated failures, and it's got to stop. The federal laws have unintentionally fueled this epidemic and created so many unnecessary deaths. It's, it's a real tragedy. Wow. So tell me how, what kind of success are you having with prosecuting because you, because you're hampered a little bit by the federal ADA, what do you do about it? What are you doing? Well, it is, it is a challenge. We are fighting this fight with one hand tied behind our backs, but we are still being effective with our task force. We're the only county of its kind that has this, this task force where law enforcement works with the prosecutors and forensic accountants and we target these these facilities that are exploiting individuals with substance use disorder. We go after the treatment centers. We go after the sober homes that are found to have taken illegal kickbacks. It makes it harder because uh, that the laws exist to prevent us from inspecting, regulating, certifying all these places. We don't even know where they are necessarily until there's um, criminal activity because there's no registration. So, you know, we're, we're limited in what we can do, but we've had a lot of success, though. 41 arrests in the past year. Uh, and uh, more to come. Wow. So you have to track the kickbacks. That's how you go go after them. Yeah, you can do it through bank records and other things. You know, you get someone who comes forth saying, hey, you know, I, I, was, I used to work at this facility, and there's, they're, they're giving kickbacks, and so then we can send an undercover individual, undercover officer into the outpatient facility, and then, uh, you know, work that way, or we can get the bank records of the outpatient facility and see who they're paying and oh look they're paying these sober homes why would they ever pay a sober home right. or a sober home owner well you're doing it because it's a kickback for their patients wow unbelievable wow all right <laughs> well well done you again on setting up the task force and and making that happen in palm beach county 
What kind of, what do you see as the, the future going forward in terms of where your office is going to focus on the opioid crisis? Well, it, you know, we see right now this problem moving to other counties throughout the state. As we are successful in making arrests and shutting down facilities, we are seeing a lot of these players move to other parts of the state. So what we're doing is we're doing statewide trainings. We had a, a big training here just a couple weeks ago of prosecutors throughout the state. We've also been in touch with law enforcement from different communities. We're offering ourselves up as a resource to train other communities because this problem is going to them. It is going to be seen in your community sooner than later, if not already, and we want to uh, help, help them uh, bring people up to speed on what to do and how to stop this. In the meantime, we also have our task forces that continue to meet to suggest changes to state law. We were able to pass a major uh, piece of legislation last session, House Bill 807, which uh, really got tough on patient brokering, tightened the state regulation of these outpatient facilities, and uh, really will uh, criminalize the deceptive marketing that goes on. The one part that's still untouched is really the sober homes because of federal law. So we've been working with Senator Nelson, and we spoke to Senator Rubio as well about clarifying or fixing the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act to give us the power to have reasonable regulations over these places. So we're working on all different fronts, and we're not stopping. And I think what you're doing is fantastic. I do too. You're Like I said, I, I really wasn't just trying to be complimentary. I was, but you, you really are my hero in this area because I think... I mean, going back to what you did with the pill mills and then coming forward to what you've been doing in Palm Beach County, you really are setting, I think, the example for what a state attorney should be doing no matter where they are in the country in terms of handling the opioid crisis. And I think I think it's commendable. I really do. I think you're making great strides and, you know, other if I don't know if any we have any other state attorneys or you know, people connected with them that listen to the podcast, but if they do, they need to take note and, and learn from you, I think. Thank you. I, you know, I, I love working with my colleagues throughout the state, and, you know, every state attorney is independent from each other, and they reflect the issues of their communities, and this issue is going to grow bigger throughout the state, and, and when uh, called upon, we are going to be ready to help anyone who asks, or even if they don't ask, we're going to offer our help. <laughs> so I think your podcast goes a long way. A lot of it is just awareness. Yep. And if we can get people to be aware of this problem, it really helps because we've seen too many families who have lost a loved one because they didn't even know that that loved one was into heroin. They thought heroin was a drug used by junkies under bridges, not their daughter or son who's, you know, a goes to church every week and is someone who, you know, has a steady job. But heroin does not discriminate. It is it cuts across every socioeconomic group, every racial and ethnic group. And today's heroin is so much worse than heroin from previous generations because now the heroin is spiked with cheap, potent Chinese fentanyl and carfentanyl sometimes, which is an elephant tranquilizer, which is so powerful. These, these uh, add-ons... Uh, give the uh, underlying heroin a much greater potency, much greater high for the user, and a much higher mortality rate. Yep. We've talked a lot about that in terms of, you know, it's no longer just the homeless guy down in in the big cities that is the addict. It's the very upscale kid down the street from you, or parent down the street from you. 
it's so widespread. Exactly. It's so widespread. Exactly. Did you have anything else, Jason? Dave, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, you are correct. We have over 3,500 listeners and all over the world. And I really appreciate you sharing everything that you're doing. And we will talk to you again. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. It was thank great you. talking to you. And thank you uh, for caring and for being such leaders in this area. And I hope to come back on your show. Ooh, we'd Monday. love it. Absolutely. We'd love it. You're booked. I don't know when, but you're booked. <laughs> if, if, if it's not before the holidays, have a great holiday season with your friends and family. And thank you again for fighting the good fight. Thank you so much. All the best to you both and to your listeners out there. Okay, take care. Take care. So what did you think? I think it's great what he's doing. Because yeah. it's finally someone in a high, highly, well, not highly, higher political position that's actually trying to take some responsibility for what's happening in this area and to actually set the standard for what the rest of the nation has to do as far as sober homes, as far as pill mills, as far as, you know, offering rehabilitation services over locking people up in jail. I think these are all great things because these are the things I've always said are the answers. Right. Or part, unless they're the answers, they're part of the answer to fight against the opiate epidemic because we have to take a multi-pronged approach. We can't just say, you know, this opiate epidemic's pretty bad. Well, we just got to get the pills and the heroin off the street. And it's like, this thing's way too far progressed for just that, that simplistic of an answer. There's so many different avenues and bases that need to get covered in order to like start reducing it because realistically it's spreading. Right. Realistically, it's not going anywhere. It's still just as strong as ever. And it, it takes people like Mr. Ehrenberg to take charge in their area and set the standard for what other areas need to do um, around the nation. I think if every state attorney took after what he's doing, we might actually start to see some major, major momentum in fighting the epidemic all around the country. I agree. And I'm going to actually give a phone number. I'm going to give his phone number because he said, you know, he said in there that he will train anybody mm -hmm. on a lot of the actions that he's doing. And the phone number for anybody listening for the, for Dave Ehrenberg, state attorney for Palm Beach County, is area code 561-355-7246. That's his office. And, you know, we talk about education and we talk about it just educating the average parent or the average person on drugs. He's also taking education to a slightly different level in terms of educating law enforcement officials throughout the state and other state attorneys on the things that he's doing, the sober homes right. and all of that. So I think that's pretty cool. I think it's all fantastic. Awesome. I really do. And it was great that he agreed to come on to the podcast. I'm glad yep. he did. And he wants to come back. And he wants to come back, which is even more awesome. And, yep. you know, if we could get other state attorneys around the state on here, you know, yeah. it'd be, be really good. We'll do it. We'll so check it out. All right. I just know that he he's one that we knew, you know, really had done a lot in mm -hmm. the area of fighting the opioid crisis. So Absolutely. that was kind of cool. And how has your week been at Narcanon? It's been good. It's been good. And uh, this past week we had Halloween. Right. And Halloween was a thing across the nation. And of course, with our society the way it is, Halloween was not without its hiccups. Oh, uh, okay. And I saw two stories that really bothered me. And one of which was uh, heroin was found in a three-year-old's candy bag. And um, I don't think a person is going to purposely do that to a child, like purposely give them heroin. I think it's because we're, dr we're so drugged and so many people are not aware and are completely oblivious 
to yeah. life when you're yeah. on drugs that you make mistakes like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I keep saying, it's it's prevention, it's yeah. education, it's making people aware of the problem. Handling the epidemic is twofold right now. You have to prevent new people from becoming addicts. You got to treat the ones that are already addicted. Right. And, you know, I'm just a proponent for making long-term treatment available everywhere. And it's like the proper treatment. Right. And so... Luckily, I get to come to work every day and see people getting off drugs, having amazing wins on the program. And the cool part is now we have uh, students' families all planning to come for Thanksgiving. I'm excited. Which is really fun. Um, they get to see their – a lot of them, it's the first time they're seeing their families for a holiday sober right. in years and years and years and years. So not only is it wonderful for the addict, but it's great for the families. Right. They finally get – I know some people are like, oh, I'm going to go spend Thanksgiving in a rehab. It's like, no, no, no. For families, this is huge because – their loved one is finally sitting across from the table from them and looking at them. And it's like actually their loved one again. It's not like the drugged out person that was there, you know, for the last five or six years. It's not the person that's nodding out in the mashed potatoes. It's not the person that's running out all throughout the festivities to go cop drugs. It's like their actual loved one is back and they get to enjoy that and see that. And it's fantastic for families. Right. I mean, it's absolutely wonderful. And I've, I've gotten to witness it every single year <laughs> ever since I've been working for Narconon. And it's something I really enjoy seeing. I love it. I think it's wonderful. And um, and my family's coming. And I'm excited. Yes, we're going to have you guys. I think it'll be fun. It's going to be amazing. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, I know I bring up some of these stories that, you know, come out in the media mm-hmm. as far as the epidemic goes. And I don't do it in, in a sense to, like, depress people. But I think on an educational level, people have to know how bad this is. Yep. And you also have to have to know how to safeguard your family. Right. Because there's lots of people out there who aren't addicted. You know, most people aren't addicted. Most people are not on drugs. Yeah. But just because you're not on drugs, your family is not on drugs, doesn't mean that you're not going to be inadvertently affected by the epidemic. Because That's you right. can't because you can be. Hey, just get out on the roads. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just go, Oh my goodness. Yeah, just get out on the roads. I mean, there are too many guys that come through Narconon that tell me, yeah, I used to shoot up driving down the road. Oh, my goodness. Or I used to or I used to go to a parking lot and shoot up and then drive myself to X, Y, and Z. It's like, um, that's insane. How many people's lives got put at risk because that person got high and then drove their car? And heroin's not one of those drugs that makes you really alert. It's kind of the opposite. And so, right. you know, it, all it takes is for someone to nod out at the wheel, you know, hit and kill a family of four. Before we end, you said before we started that you just did a little bit of analysis of the last year's worth of the students who came through the Narconon program. Yeah, as far as our our success rate goes. And over the last year, we've had about a 79% success rate. And I think people cleaning, keeping them clean over the last year. And so we've got a whole year to look at the people that have graduated the program successfully, have gone through it and have stayed clean. And we're looking at about 79%. And I think that's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely awesome. I'm so. I know for a fact there's no other treatment center out there that can say that. No. Because the the no other treatment center tracks. Right. Legitimately tracks the successes coming out. They can say, oh, it's got this success rate, it's got this success rate. That's fine. We actually track it because we keep in contact with our graduates for two years. Right. And so I'm really happy to have found that statistic. It made me feel really good about what we're doing. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I think it's awesome. So that means we need to talk again next, next week. week. Absolutely. Just like every other week. We're I know. We're doing keep... it every week. We're going to keep doing it every week until, I don't know, forever. Forever. <laughs> I'm fine with forever. I'm totally fine with that because I know we're reaching people and we're educating people yep. and we're teaching people about what's happening. Yep. 
And the more people know, the more people know, you know? Exactly. Cool. Well, have a good week and we'll talk again next week. Absolutely. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 